0: Hey everyone, okay, welcome to another episode of Secrets in the Saddle podcast with your host, Sylvie Dew. And I am extremely excited to bring this amazing lady to our episode. This is the one and only Jennifer Sage. Now, I'm gonna share, she's sitting in Vail, Colorado, and I think, like, I think I might just have to go visit her and do some skiing at some point in time, like or cycling,
1: can... there's some or great cycling, riding here. but I heard you can, you can do both in uphill. one day.
0: Can you do both in one day?
1: I do know people who do, but I'm a fair weather <laughs> skier and I'm a fair weather cyclist. So oh, it's got
0: so to That'll be perfect. Yeah. But Jen's background. Okay. So I'll give you a little, little background on her. I met Jen in, in between 2004 and 2009. This is when I had a spinning studio and Jen was a master instructor for Mad Dog Athletics, Schwinn, you know, um, Johnny G, that whole era. Not, not Schwinn, just Mad Dog. Just Mad Dog. Mad yeah. Dog on Schwinn. Spinning. Bike. Oh, no, spin bikes. And uh, so I used to go to the conferences every year and Jen was one of the instructors and in my studio i used to hold certification courses and educational courses and they would send a coach or instructor up to teach them and jen was one of them and so we've been friends ever since been on facebook you know touching base hey how you doing and since then so that's a long time ago since then she she left mad dog athletics in 2009 i actually Coincidentally, closed my studio in 2009. Um, And she went on and created another foundation called Indoor Cycling Association. So we're going to hear more about that. And she also had a company that did guided tours in Europe. So Jen, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here because as you know, this is about cyclists and everybody who has anything to do with cycling that does something extraordinary and
1: just so excited to have you. Well, thank you so much. And I'm thrilled to be here and talking about cycling and indoor cycling is, uh, and I like, you know, do you have 10 hours? We can, we can keep I know really <laughs>
0: like how much do I love cycling?
1: Yeah. So,
0: <coughs> so I always love to get started with asking like how did you get start? How did you get into cycling? Because everybody has like, everybody has a story, and everybody's story is kind of different. So, how is, what was your story
1: like? I actually remember the first time I rode a bike for a reason. Like, I I rode my bike to school in, in mm-hmm. you know, grade school. Um, yep. But so I remember the first time I rode my bike for a reason that wasn't just to get somewhere. Um, I was at a university in, in Massachusetts, University of Massachusetts. So I only went my last two years and I don't remember how I got the bike, but I, <laughs> I borrowed a bike or I somehow acquired a bike. Um, it was a Fuji. I do remember that it was a black Fuji wow. and I went and this was in Amherst, Massachusetts, which is in the middle of the state It's flat and, um, a lot of farmland I was dating myself here, but it was mid eighties. <laughs> early 80s um (laughs) and i just went out and rode i don't i think i was maybe out for a couple hours but i just and i i may have even been in jeans i don't know
0: (laughs) oh probably if it was the 80s
1: (laughs) also like you know i remember when i first got a pair of bike cycling shorts i was like oh these are weird but i do remember coming back and just going oh my gosh that it was amazing. Like, I it 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 flipped a switch in my head, and from that day forward, I considered myself a cyclist. Like, so after I graduated, I moved to San Francisco, and that's where I really started riding. Is in the mm. hills north of San Francisco and south of San Francisco. Um, I would put my bike in my car and go uh, ride Woodside. Uh, if anyone knows San Francisco or Palo Alto, you go up uh, into the mountains and then head down towards the the coast. And Here's I- it's a great
0: place to cycle, like a Mecca.
1: Yeah. Um, and then I've moved all over the world. Um, oh, well, tell us about
0: that. Home. So what did you go well, to school I move, for? I, huh? What did you go to school for?
1: Exercise physiology was my mm-hmm. degree. And that's kind of what led me to where I ended up um, mm-hmm. uh, with with fitness and um Uh, teaching for spinning but I kind of did that via a master's of international management but uh, and that kind of came from because I decided 1988 I decided I'm going to ride my bike around Europe now I had never ridden more than uh, you know I probably had gone out four or five hours Uh, (laughs) but uh, I had heard about someone who did it and I I was at a very independent period of my life. And uh-huh. so I literally went to Europe with my bike in a box and the panniers without, have, uh, without only once had I ever tried putting the panniers on. <laughs> like, wow. like I landed in Paris. <laughs> oh my
0: gosh. Sorry. And I
1: took my bike out of a cardboard box. I think I shoved the box somewhere and I, I rode from Paris. I rode from the airport in Paris. And I I had a rough plan. This is before GPS. This is before Uh phones. This was 1988. And um, I rode 2,500 miles around Europe, around mostly France, because I spoke a little bit of French. And by the time I was done with this, I spoke more. Um, And then uh, across Switzerland into southern Germany and then back into France. And it was two months I did five weeks alone and then the last three weeks I had a friend had flew out and joined me and I much preferred the time alone. Uh, that's funny. No, we should talk about that. After. Well, here's, here's why. Um, you know, I kept sending her postcards because again, this is before Facebook yeah. and messaging and I was like, you better be getting fit. I'm riding a hundred kilometers a day was kind of like my average, um, mm-hmm. sometimes more, sometimes less. I'm climbing a lot. You better be getting fit and she didn't and so we were such different fitness levels and didn't she didn't have the patience for me translating french and
0: it it was one of those things
1: that (laughs) i got it (laughs) also when i was alone i met more people and i met so many amazing amazing people but when like at a campground when they see you again we camp the whole way too yeah when they see you with two people they're less likely to interact but when I uh, sat at okay. my picnic table or my tent in a campground, people would come over and say, come join us. Oh, yeah. I that love that. It Even- happened all the time. I, it yeah. was just the most amazing experience. So that was like, my big thing is like, I rode my bike around Europe in 1988. And then in 1990, um, I, I at something, oh, I know what it was, the Iraq. Well, not the Iraq War, the first Iraq War happened. And um, uh, so just the economy, just the, we, the United States was kind of weird. And I, I lost my job. I forget what it was. <laughs> it was just some <laughs> side thing. And I said, yeah. you know what? Um, I'm just going to go to Europe again. I had a, uh, miles on my credit card for this is back, you know, when the, when the mileage. For uh, travel was was good when you get free flights. I remember yeah. calling like United Airlines and saying, "How many miles do I need to go to New Zealand?" And they said at the time like fifty thousand. And I said, "How many miles do I have?" And they said fifty thousand two hundred. So, like <laughs> sign I said, me up for a one way trip. <laughs> I'm gonna... I it was a round trip, so I went to New Zealand. Oh my gosh! Lunch, really cool. And uh, rode my bike, and I rode my bike around the South Island by myself and so uh, that was 1500 miles and that was a lot harder well actually in europe i did go over some of the alps and that um it was pretty challenging but in in new zealand i did all the big the big mount mountains in the south island and um and then when i was supposed to fly home is uh, it was uh, january so i spent christmas down there i have family in new zealand so it was oh cool of, my my oldest brother moved to new zealand He's quite a bit older than me. Um, he's a half brother, and he moved to New Zealand in 1970 to avoid the draft, and uh, mm-hmm. to go instead of going to Vietnam. And he married a New Zealand woman, and they have five been kids and since, dozens so. of a dozen grandkids now. But um, he's been there ever since 1970. So I've been back a few times to see him. Um, but that time I rode my bike. It was, if you ever have a chance to ride your bike in New Zealand, it is just stunning. We're, so those oh, are my, my my big uh, travel cycling stories but because of my passion for France. Oh. I um I'm, I like I said we could talk for 10 hours but <laughs> while I was there on my French trip yeah. I'm going to keep this really short because um it's got some fun fun parts to it and I could go off on a tangent but I met a guy. I met a boy and, oh, well, um,
0: of course. Yeah. At, like, at some point in time, I would hope that you know you came across at least one, all those campgrounds.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, but um, when I flew back to California after that trip, I was like, oh, what am I going to do? And I was it, keeping in touch with him.
0: Is that your and, husband?
1: Um, no, no. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> no, but he did want to marry me and I broke his heart. But I, um, I came home from work one day. I was just working at a temp firm trying to figure out, you know, yeah. what it was next. And there was a message on my, on my voicemail that said, Jennifer, I have decided to come to San Francisco. I arrive tomorrow. Ah! <laughs> and, oh, my um, gosh. Because so, we had talked about me coming out to visit and maybe mm-hmm. staying for a while and maybe going to school in France. But oh. I like, I couldn't, um, you need to get, to get a student visa, you need to have proof that you have $3,000 in the bank. And obviously I spent all my money on my travels. Um, and then you need a certificate, they call it a certificate de logement, which is a housing proof of housing. Yeah. Um, so he said on his voicemail, he goes, I am bringing you $3,000 to put in your account and oh. I am bringing you a certificate de logement. <laughs> so so basically I had three days to decide if I was going to move to France with a boy that I really only met for a couple days. And I did did. that was, that was 1980. Uh, what did it? Yeah, it was 88. It was 88. So um, that was one of my crazy things in my life. I lived in Nice for a year. I oh, went Nice. I'd
0: been to Nice and biked around there.
1: Yeah. The, the cycling is not very good in Nice. You have to really get north, um, you know, like Lance Armstrong famously lived in the area, but the, all the great climbing is to the North. But I, at the time I, mm-hmm. um, I did have a bike. I remember riding to Monaco a couple of times, which is beautiful. Um, yeah. but Monaco he was nice. Like, here's the thing is he wasn't into cycling. He wasn't into fitness. So oh, long story short, it, it wasn't a match made in, in French heaven, but it was fun. Um, how long did you stay there? I stayed there for a little less than a year, went to school and um, but while I was i'm going to back up a little bit that summer when I did my bike tour uh-huh. around Europe, I was in Alsace. this is at the time I was with my friend. Uh, her name was Jennifer as well, so we were Jennifer and Jennifer um, <laughs> and, yeah, and so we introduced ourselves like that, and people thought it was crazy <clears throat> um, <laughs> We, had, we were just riding, we were in Alsace, and we came across, across a group of cyclists, and they all had helmets on. Oh, my God. Because remember, this is 1988, and right. the only people who wore helmets were Americans. And they also had flags on their bike. So they had these, that were about five feet in the air, so in the back, they stuck up. Um, and so I said, oh, this must be one of those bike tours I've heard about. So um we stopped and we talked to them. I talked to the guide mm. and she said, "Yeah, it was for a bike tour company called uh, Vermont Country Cyclists." And mm. um I, you know, I I'm from Vermont and uh, we're just riding our bikes around. I said, "Oh my god. I want to do that. How do I do that?" Look, you know, I'm obviously a cyclist. I said, "Je parle français." Um and she said, well, we were just bought out by another company, and I think they need guides. So she gave me the name. <clears throat> this is maybe a week before we're heading back. So I had started the process of bugging this company to hire me, <clears throat> but they didn't need anyone. Right. In um, that interim, I moved to France. Okay. And then and I kept bugging that. them. I'm like, hey, guys, my French is really good now. I mean, yeah. you know. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs>
0: French boyfriend, French boyfriend grand, it, you going know, to school.
1: It's um, the only way <laughs> it, it really is. I went to the <laughs> a, French as a second language program, but I still, it was still all in French. And, um, so I ended up that next year getting a job with this company called Travent. They had bought, uh, Vermont country cyclers and, um, they and they elevated from like three-star tours to four-star ultra ultra luxury oh, okay competing against butterfield and robinson you might have heard it's the canadian company so again this is back in the 80s when they, uh-huh. this, this kind of whole thing was just getting started and um i they flew me to france and i and i started leading bike tours and staying at the most luxury hotels you could possibly imagine and eating Whoa. meals like you could like, you can't even That's imagine. That's the only
0: way to do it, too. Like, well, I wouldn't,
1: you know. well, I did eventually start, as you mentioned, doing my own tours. Uh-huh. I worked for Travent for, let's see, he, <clears throat> into the mid-90s. There was, uh, the early 90s were a little rough. The economy bad. There was some more stuff going on. There was, uh, um, it, and so they almost. folded. Um, it. Well, I think the whole industry had a real life there, like 92-ish. <clears throat> um, but then they came back. They were actually bought out by Vermont Bicycle Tours, VVT. So here we were, Travant guys, were used to, in like I'm talking, Provence, Burgundy, Loire Valley, Dordogne. Um, those were the areas I knew the best. Alsace, I did a couple tours in Switzerland. Um, they were like the most luxury and so like the next stage of the industry came in and started doing not so luxury tours (laughs) which which I prefer because okay
0: good you're like oh I don't know how I can
1: do this (laughs) I did one tour that was kind of promoted as an eating tour um it was a shorter one it was five days most of them were seven or eight days
0: okay and
1: it was five days out of Either a one, two, or three-star hotel. I mean, I mean, a restaurant. And if you know anything about Michelin-starred restaurants, I mean, I don't. Oh my god! Like three stars <laughs> is the top. Oh okay.
0: Oh okay. Three stars a top. Okay.
1: Is like, but we're talking the greatest in the world, right? And great is a like sometimes pretty open. Three, three stars in a Michelin-starred restaurant. You know, you have to change your flowers every day, and it's not always the food, but the food is obviously pretty good. But each meal is three hours.
0: So oh, I know. You know it's just like a sit down guy. Like...
1: People just get so tired of it. And like, if you do one three star restaurant in your lifetime, you feel like you've you yeah. know, had an amazing experience. But to do, well, most of them were actually a couple of them weren't starred, but they were still high level restaurants. But, like, in that particular tour, we had two nights at a three-star, one night at a one-star or two-star, and then the other two at really nice restaurants that weren't quite starred. Um, Like, I probably gained 15 pounds. Whoa. You know, you're riding your bike, but uh, these people weren't necessarily, (laughs) like, strong
0: I remember when I was in France when I I said – I went there for a training camp. So I flew into Nice, and then the training camp was – at um, a reason it wasn't like a resort but it was kind of like a, a maybe a hotel where we Do had our own the little the town no I'd have to go look it up but it was like on a hill because <laughs> so like at the end of every ride we just had to fucking climb up this hill oh my god but we had our own little room so everybody kind of had their own little apartment and uh but the the supper at night was like this buffet. And we sat around I'm just like you, you think you're eating really well but you're just like scarfing it in eh? and I'm it's, just like oh my god and breakfast too <laughs> like, well here's
1: the thing it's like over <laughs> in Europe uh, especially in you know places and they where eat the late food culture they eat late not as late as Spain Spain like eats at 11 o'clock at <laughs> night um oh, wow. but <clears throat> um yeah it's crazy if you go to Spain but um you know, for Americans who are used to eating at six, they're, you know, 7.38, that was late to them. You're like hungry. (laughs) Uh, For a place where the food culture is so important, um, Americans don't realize, I I encountered this a lot on my tours, where people would come in and not realize that this, if we had a buffet, but normally we didn't have buffets, but a couple of the fancy places made a buffet that was amazing just for our group. Maybe we had a you know 18 or 20 people in this group plus three guides and <clears throat> um there was always a first course but we these people would walk in and like oh my god this is great and for and not know that this is going to be taken away and then the main course was going to be brought out
0: <laughs> yeah like,
1: so um yeah we had to educate them i like i remember on my bike tour in europe having that problem i got invited um No, actually, gosh, I'm getting ahead of, I actually went to Europe in 1984, straight out of college with a girlfriend, gear rail pass, that kind of thing, no bikes involved. And I remember getting invited, the two of us, young, young girls straight out of college, getting (laughs) invited to dinner. We had met these Italian boys in Brussels and they invited us over for dinner because they're staying with their friend in Brussels, a really beautiful apartment. And they had the most amazing spaghetti, right? It was was so amazing and some other things. And like we ate so much of it (laughs) and they must have like looked at us going, oh my God, look at these girls eat. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, you don't understand American food. This is really good. (laughs) But that, see in Europe and especially in Italian, the pasta is a course because after that, they had this big roast lamb or something that like oh, you're like by the time the dinner was served we were so full we <laughs> couldn't eat another bite but no one told us and we made such fools of ourselves i mean we were so embarrassed but that 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 taught me early i will just have a little piece. <laughs> yeah i mean like obviously we weren't like Really fat or anything, but they were probably looking at us going, Oh my god, how come these girls aren't fat if they're eating this much? (laughs)
0: Because I'm not gonna eat the rest afterwards. (laughs) Exactly. But anyway, so how did you? So the bike tours were a big part of your life before you got into Mad Dog Athletics. Yeah. How did that happen? uh,
1: Because now you're in
0: Europe touring, like in the early 90s. Mm hmm. Then I guess you, came back. you <clears throat> came
1: back after my my year in France with Luc, i had um, decided I wanted to go to grad school okay. and um, I wanted to study international something international because now I had this just exposure to the world and yeah so i ended up going to grad school in arizona it's a, a school at the time it was called the american graduate school of international management thunderbird campus so if anyone's out there and you've ever heard of a t-bird i'm a t-bird um it's a it's a, a real t-bird. <laughs> i think i remember seeing that campus it's it's an Phoenix. amazing school it's now a part of asu um okay. and uh and so so i got a mat- master's of international management and in between, in the summers, I was still going over to Europe doing the bike tours. So you oh, know, it took cool. me two years to get my degree, but I was still doing my bike tours over there. Uh, and then, long story short, I got a uh, a job offer after Thunderbird to go work for the Olympic Committee in, in, in um, Atlanta. So this is pre, the Atlanta Olympics were 96. I got, uh, I, I moved to Atlanta to uh, work with the Paralympic over, or, organizing committee in oh, 90, cool. yeah, 93, so three years before the Olympics, but I was going to coordinate with the Olympics, because I was like, involved with some of the, um, in the logistics department, but I was trying to move to international relations, or, you know, something I could use my language, because I was, planning where the ice machines were gonna go, for God's sake. But, um, there was another is... boy involved with this. <laughs> so when I moved this to Atlanta, like I had a boyfriend who was supposed to move with me, who had told me he was gonna move with me. Uh, and the night before I left, he says, nah, I'm not gonna move. I'm not gonna go, it's too hot. <laughs> so I went to Atlanta and he lived in Colorado, in, near Vail. And uh, so that was my exposure to Vale um so i went to atlanta with a broken heart and i never got over it uh, and, and also the olympics it the job didn't turn out to be i mean had i stayed i would have worked for the damn olympics right i probably would have gotten a career in the olympics cuz a lot yeah. of people who work for the organizing committees then go work for you know the various they they make a whole life career out of this
0: yeah
1: um so I joked that I lived in Atlanta for one year, three days, seven hours and 27 minutes. Oh. Because I just, it just, it, it just wasn't me. And I said, you know, I don't care if it's the Olympics. So I moved to Vail ostensibly to get a job in the ski industry using, oh. okay, I have a master's in international management. They, every ski area has an, in, that has international clients has an international department. Uh, and I, they all told me, cause I would call them up and say, "Ah, you know, how do I get a job in this? They said, well, you need to live here. <laughs> it, we're not going to hire someone from Atlanta. Right. So that's what I did. And I uh, moved to Vail. Um, I didn't get a job in the international department right away. I interviewed at Vail, Breckenridge, Crested Butte, Aspen. Um, did I go to window park? I think there was one more. Uh, at Steamboat, I think. And, um, in the meantime, I worked at restaurants, I did massage, and I started personal training. I mean, that was like coming full circle back to my fitness, my exercise science degree. Yeah, yeah. And so that was really the start of um, where I am now. So I kind so of- So you moved. never left? No, I, that was 1996. I've been in Vail since, actually, 95 is when I moved here. Wait, 93? Uh, I lasted 94, 94, because I left, I started in Atlanta in 93, and then left in 94. So two years before the Olympics. Oh, okay. And um, so that's really how I got started here. As a personal trainer, um, I loved what I did. I loved working with cyclists. And I just started studying more as much as I could about coaching and training. Now, I raced mountain bikes at the time, but you know, I was just kind of a sport level um local races i never did yeah. anything more so you know i did have a little bit into the racing so i was more interested in not working with you know elite athletes or anything but just the everyday person who wanted yeah. to get better and stronger and um so i um i remember the first day it was 1996 and our manager came in and said, our, our fitness group, fitness director said, there's this new thing called spinning and we're getting bikes this weekend. And all of you guys are signed up for the for the certification, like this weekend. Like, so oh, I went okay. to the certification, the spinning certification, 1996. And hmm. I, first of all, I remember being very uncomfortable on the bike, but you know, not uncomfortable because but just a stationary bike, yeah, stationary bike and the, the saddles weren't that good. But again, a light bulb went off in my head, a switch went in my, in my head. And I said, Oh my God, this is amazing. I had been teaching step for a long time. I did step all the way through college down in Atlanta. I taught step. Like yeah. step was my thing. Choreography oh god i don't think i taught a step class after that once i got hooked on the whole spinning oh. thing and then next year 1997 or in late 96 um i'd only been certified for I don't know, six or eight months spinning put out a call for presenters oh. and um there was a four-step interview process like first you had to submit um you know an application and a resume and um, and then, you know, once you go through that, then you had to submit a, um, I think I had to do a telephone interview, or I had to submit a, a video of me writing as well as uh, standing in front of the video and saying, why I want to be a spinning master instructor. And so I made Whoa. it. I made it. I became a spinning master instructor in 19, early 1997. And um, that was all she wrote. I just, I loved it. And I traveled around the country, uh, and even to some c- other countries like Canada. <laughs> um, yeah. I went to Jamaica and, uh, I certified spinning instructors for let's just clarify. So people mm-hmm. recognize there's spinning was the first, it yeah. is a brand, right? So spinning yeah. has a little R and a circle around it. it is yeah. a registered trademark. And, um, so I worked for the spinning company for 12 years. I presented at conferences. I wrote some of their workshops. Yeah. And um, I kind of, you know, was became kind of popular at the at the at the um, <laughs> conferences. My my I had several sessions that were always full. And um, I just, you know, it just empowered me to empower instructors. Because yeah. my big thing thing with spinning and I think this is what made me different from because remember I started spinning early they had only been around a couple of years so I started yeah. in 96 I think spinning mad dog athletics marched launched in March of uh launched in 1994 so two years earlier okay when I started doing my sessions at the conference like I was the first one I I really made them cycling specific and I Even like if, that and that's and what I loved so, about them I, and I think that's what attracted you to my sessions and that's and like I wasn't for everybody but the people who liked me were there because mm-hmm. I was doing sessions um I was the first one to do a lactate threshold field test like they did max heart rate that's how they did and I didn't believe in max heart rate training like max heart rate um charts like age right. 220 minus age is your max heart rate yeah, and yeah. You, you know go to 75% That that's it's so even back then it was dated uh and and not necessarily based on solid science or it was just it, it had its place but for training it doesn't really have its place so um I well introduced if you need
0: to, basics it's you know
1: it's yeah but you, it's 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 a, the problem is it's an that okay people, benchmark it's an okay benchmark if you're doing long sessions yeah. long intervals it's not a benchmark if you're doing short, Mm high-intensity intervals because heart rate doesn't respond fast enough. And um, also people don't recognize that, you know, things like cardiac drift, your heart rate rises towards the end of a workout, especially if you're you're dehydrated. Um, And then so many other things can affect heart rate Mm
0: -hmm. outside
1: of what you're doing. But this is pre-power, so we didn't have power. So I was the first to do lactate threshold field tests. I was the first to do pedal stroke drills in all of (sighs) this program. Wow, the pedal stroke. I gravitated
0: so, to those, like, yeah, because I did. I was, I,
1: yeah. I did a session called "The Anatomy of the Pedal Stroke." Yeah, so I, I probably still j- have the paperwork. And you know what? Yeah, I, I have. Probably, a, you probably. I have that. a binder
0: full of Mad Dog um, course notes that I like. I picked up at every session that I went yeah. to, and the ones that I, I wrote. I would bring them back and I would copy them for all of my instructors. I'm like, here's new material. I would go coach through some of them. I'm like, here's some more ideas for your classes on how, you know, different kind yeah. of drills. And I, I absolutely loved going there and gaining all that material and that information. And I still do a lot of that stuff to this date as a coach. And um, it's so
1: fun to learn, isn't it? I mean, like, it is, I teach this stuff and I still have to learn it. So, yeah. Well, it's but good here's reminders, the thing that right? you may have gone to this class. I was the first at a spinning conference or I think at any conference, because truly there were other fitness conferences, but the spinning conference was the only one that was built around the spinning Yeah. experience. Right. And then uh, like some of the other programs that were growing Schwinn, et cetera, they mostly just focused on their modality of training. Yeah. Or
0: RPM. Uh,
1: um, our RPM had,
0: his, at the, at the
1: time. The Y had something, good life had something. Yeah. yeah. So I was the first, and this is where kind of my two worlds will come together Yeah. to do an indoor cycling session. That was a simulation of a tour de France stage. Mm. so yeah. i did a i did a couple of them the first one i did was um because i'd ridden up Alp there a couple times I'd i I been... think i
0: have that she hold on you just hold on here just a second. yeah
1: <laughs> Do you have the session outlines from uh, WSS? I'm telling you, I still have
0: some of, some of the stuff. I mental training and approach to skills, uh, weight loss, uh, nutrition. Right, but those are the
1: official spinning uh, continuing ed that they did. Yeah. This the this, the material from the conferences were always kind of different and exclusive and um, and you know, like my Alp de ride didn't become a spinning continuing ed. It was only you could only mis- experience it but like, the way i did it was i actually simulated i told a story of a writer who had who was a domestique who had worked really 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 hard all day and he was exhausted and he was towards the back and you know he he was a he was a young writer and he had only just been called up to the team because someone else got sick and i mean like the, i had this whole elaborate story Yeah. And out, it was the the very end of the stage was Alpe d'Huez. So most of the ride was, I mean, the whole ride was just the last segment. The warm-up was me prepping the story and we're coming down the Gullivier and it's, um, you know, we're, we're just pedaling. And um, But then the entire focus of my ride was that last uh, 45 minutes on Alpe d'Huez. and. Uh, I talked about the switchbacks. We stood up on the switchbacks. I had French music. I told stories about people cheering him on and saying, allez, allez, pushing him. Because when you're at the back, they don't care if you, they're, they push you. And, um, you know, his whole worry was he was going to be the um, Lanterne Rouge, which is the very last rider. And he didn't uh, want to be the Lantern Rouge at his uh, his first tour to France. And so he gets the, had this most amazing a song from the movie moulin rouge it's from their their soundtrack and it just builds and builds and builds and builds and, builds, and that's the finish you guys week. had great music so that, that, that you guys would was, offer too yeah so i think that particular ride kind of um was one of my benchmark rides and i did i did more tour de france where i had another stage another workshop called um not a workshop but just a session at the conference called The Suitcase of Courage, which was, <laughs> I remember you know, that um, one. it was, uh, it was later. I think it was, I like, did in 2008 and nine. I don't know if you went that, year, you know, but, you know, that was one of Phil Liggett's, um, uh, famous.
0: Oh geez. Uh, famous yeah.
1: Phrases from his tour de France announcing. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that one wasn't, uh, a story of one writer. Uh, it was, just the whole team working together right. and fast yeah. and attacks and um, we are we we may be visited by the gray ghost. Oh, hello, <laughs> he always, kitty! He always makes an appearance if I'm on the. Uh, yeah,
0: he's like, uh, let
1: me walk yeah, over on. your laptop and your keyboard. By the way, um, since we're talking about France and Tour de France, I have three cats, and they are all named after French mountain passes. No. So this which is the although we call him Gibby. <laughs> and, uh, I have Isolard, who is Izzy, and um, nice. they they're eleven ish. And then we have um, a four year old little girl. She's her name is Madeleine for the Code de la Madeleine. So Maddie. Oh, so all, cool. so uh, even my daughter, even my French love is yeah. passed into my um, look like at this tail. Very nice. anyway way. Hmm. well that's my story so So how did you end like because you've been with
0: mad dog athletics for a long time and you left so what what prompted you to leave did was it um separation of ideas you want to um break out and do something
1: because i'm I'm, i sweetheart (laughs) i have to go i know
0: it's just like
1: get off (laughs) It was primarily because I realized that I had something to offer that had was beyond what I could offer with the spinning program. Um, And because I wanted to reach out to more than spinning instructors. And so uh, I created the indoor, I left spinning in 2009, I created the indoor cycling association. And um, I, it is a online educational resource. For indoor cycling, not just spinning. He's coming back. I'm going to have to lock the door because he's good. he's not going to leave me alone. Uh, an online educational resource for indoor cycling instructors, regardless of their certification. Mm-hmm. You know, for instructors who want to fill their classes and motivate their riders and have classes that are. Here's the problem with the industry. You know, you've got the purist, the cyclist over here, and then you've yeah. got some of the you know boutique studios over here. It's just all about fun. I don't yeah. bridge that gap, right? Because, you know, you're a cyclist. When I do some of my true cycling training, I use Trainer Road. You use Swift. Yeah. Um, go away. <laughs> um, it it can be kind of boring if you expect everyone to sit in the saddle and do that for a long time. I can do it for yeah. myself. So, yeah. for an indoor class, we need to add the element of inspiration, great music. Mm-hmm. And maybe getting in and out of the saddle a little bit more. Although I certainly don't condone the up and down, up and oh, down all gosh, the time, like that, some of them.
0: That's so crazy. that's
1: what um, I did. Is I, the Indoor Cycling Association bridges that gap, and we create rides that are. Um, so if my computer's moving. It's because the cat is behind it pushing it. <laughs> so uh, I should have locked him out. I should have known he was going to. Ah, this.
0: that's okay. <laughs>
1: um, we, we teach instructors how to create rides, plus we provide rides that are based in science, that are based in proper cycling technique,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but they also have the element of fun. We teach instructors how to use music to match the message of their their profile, their the purpose in the ride. So you're going to use different music if you're going to do more of an endurance class than one of mm-hmm. than you would use for a, um, you know, a hit class Mm at high intensity intervals or hill climbing, you know, um, and I actually bring the element of teaching to the beat of the music because it's more fun. Mm
0: -hmm. But
1: if you're going to stay in the realm of cycling based science based classes, you have to know how to do that properly. You're so right. that you know you're not pedaling at 120 130 rpm. Um, so yeah, that's what the Indoor Cycling Association so, is all about. This will be our 10th year.
0: Oh my gosh, wow, yeah, congratulations! Yeah. So, can anybody go to your website, like the Cycling so Indoor, Indoor Cycling, cycling association?
1: association? What and is it? What is it, Jen? Indoor Cycling association. com, .com and, and it,
0: they can get uh education or join classes or how does it work well, if somebody wants to jump in
1: it's it's a membership site so we have okay. members from all over the world um i before the pandemic i had members from 32 countries um, wow. it's backed off a little bit now we're we're, we're going to boost it back up as as um you know when people are starting to get back into classes um but um, yeah, so all over the world, people are, are members and we have, I have profiles, which is your class plan. Uh, and not only that, is I inspire instructors to learn how to create their own profiles, but I have so much content on um, how to motivate writers, right? Um, how to use coaching, uh, what kind of cues to use to motivate them, better communication, how to use your music, how to... Um, correct form how to Mm. uh, coach newer riders who are coming in and and if you have a balance of beginners and advanced people how do you how do you do that as a good coach and um and how to coach older riders um uh, my audience is a lot of older riders not everyone now but um so you know they have some different needs so it's Our target is instructors who are already certified because we're not a certifying agency um, who want to learn more about how to do it effectively, safely, without gimmicks, but still have it be fun. So um, that's what the Indoor Cycling Association is all about. Wow. So how many classes a week do you have in there? Um, Well, it's not, they're not so much classes. It's it's content for education. Okay.
0: Okay. But I will say that I
1: did so over the pandemic, I started filming myself Mm -hmm. teaching some of my profiles as if, so they're not like virtual classes. I mean, it is because it's online, but I'm talking, it's a video and I'm talking to the instructor. Oh, okay. um, not as if I'm teaching the class. I'm like, okay, if you're going to teach this class, we're going to do some pedal stroke drills. Here's what you will do. Right. Or, okay, I am like I recently did one called Where the Magic Happens. And it's a session on, and it's actually a whole webinar on how to inspire people to do a little more, to go outside of their comfort zone because that's yeah. where the magic happens, right? right? That's where you improve your fitness. That's where you improve your, your physiological adaptations, whatever it is you're trying to do. Right. Um, Or maybe uh, improve your cadence ranges. Mm -hmm. So I filmed myself teaching the session and it's almost as if you're going to a conference to learn Mm -hmm. how to teach this session. Right. And a lot of people, sure. Some people ride to it if they have a bike at home, but I do have a lot of people just like at conferences, they don't ride the bike. They sit there and they take notes. Right. Because that's a great way to learn. So um, I I have a lot of those on ICA um, and um, I, I actually am going to start to do some live stream virtual classes, but I'll tell you why I'm late to the game because some people, <clears throat> excuse me, during the pandemic have been doing this since, you know, March and April. Yeah, I um, started
0: doing that in March for fitness yeah, so stuff.
1: For me... Being in an association like this, I absolutely have to be careful about music rights, right? Oh, I I know.
0: Mm -hmm. I
1: can't be up there and have music blaring Mm -hmm. without paying the rights for it. So when I do the video classes that I was just telling you about for instructors, um, instructors are more likely to have Spotify, a premium Spotify. Yeah. So what I do for those is I send them the Spotify link. I'm on my bike. I say, I say line up your, your Spotify. I also, on some of them had, the Oh, Apple Music. I see. Okay. And I'd say, okay, everyone, three, two, one start. Right. And we had, and I'd tell them they'd have to have the same crossfade the 10 second crossfade. Um, let me try this again. Bye-bye. <laughs> Hold on one second. I'm going to shut the door since you wants okay. to You know, that too. way people were playing their music from their own sources. So I wasn't right. um, you know, violating music rights there. Yeah. And if you just watched me in the video, I rode with headphones. I listened mm-hmm. to the music here. All you would hear was my coaching. So you, the, problem, the only problem with it is you need two devices, whether you're watching on the computer and then a second device for the music.
0: It's crazy. Even if when you're on Swift, like I'm like, How many things do I have to have going? you know, like at least two or three so it is kind of crazy
1: well I've is... been researching the music rights, and I'm going to bite the bullet and actually purchase them and um it's not as expensive as I thought, but it's also not the average instructor's probably not going to be able to afford it but as as an association, I'm going to do that and um fact, after yes yeah, so you Here.
0: don't get dinged and you don't get like if, especially if you put if you have like um, a youtube channel or something because then it, they won't play you're it like,
1: uh, if you're trying to do facebook lives i don't know how people do it because they get cut off and but there's, there's i don't put music you don't do music tears
0: no i just use uh, what i do is i yeah i tried to but the thing is that it gets cut off, and I did that with my spinning. I tried to upload it, but only certain parts would upload because of the music rights. So then, when I do my Facebook Lives, my fitness stuff, I don't use any music. I just it's a hit class. I'm mostly yeah, coaching would, and talking, anyways. Which
1: would work out fine for. And I'm like, yeah, you know, people have their own not work out stuff. very well for on the bike. So the other option is for instructors to pay for like yes music or power music. It's um, royalty free. And um, but the you like music is so special to me. Like I would have to spend hours and hours and hours and hours to find new songs and they're all covers. And yes, they work fine for some, especially I think they work fine for some hit classes, but I do a lot of, introspective rides. I do a lot of mind, body, Mm -hmm. mental connection, focusing on breath and pedal stroke, and those songs would work very well for that. So that's another reason what kept me from from doing it. But like I said, I'm going to pay the rights and um, hopefully start up next week or the week after with my virtual rides. And I'm also going to do a winter training program. um, You should. For people who want to prepare for cycling season is probably because it's already mid January. Um, I'm probably only going to do eight weeks or 10 weeks. Instead of usually I do a 12 week one. Yeah. Um, I've
0: actually been doing a 16 week for like the last 15 years. So I started
1: is is optimal, but I I'm
0: yeah. And then a 12 and then an eight. So I offer those different timeframes. They just basically jump into my 12-week that's already running. Yeah. It's just to fill up spots.
1: Well, you know? when you, you know, you, you obviously want to test before and after. Uh, do an FTP Well, test.
0: you know, it was easier back then. Like, because I used to do it in studio. So yeah. we'd be on power bikes and it would be easy to set up zones and test before and afters. Uh, now it's not so much like now, like what I've had to do, cause people are on all sorts of trainers, all kinds of bikes. Um, and we just use heart rate zones and that's yeah. the only thing that I could, you know, with resting heart rate. So it's a little bit more specific. Yeah. Um, and that's the only way that I could figure out how to, how everybody could get their own heart rate zones. So that, because it's all based on heart rate and I understand like every, you know- The limitations of sub- Yeah.
1: I will be including heart rate. I think heart rate is still important. Well, people,
0: think- but when you have watts,
1: like I'm like, you can decide
0: to, when you have power, I just say you decide whether you want to watch your power meter or watch your heart rate. Like don't pick, you have a choice. But yeah. for us right now, <laughs> it's all heart rate because- no, but not everybody has a power. Yeah. Um, so, and cadence. So you have to have a heart rate monitor. You have to have a bike computer with the cadence. So you have to get that bundle, whatever it is. So we do a lot of cadence and heart rates and that those are the two gauges that we use in, in uh, my course. And it's 90 minutes
1: of class. Your, your audience are more likely to be Cyclists, yes, on their road bikes. My um, audience, we have we have
0: hybrids, we have triathletes.
1: Yeah, as a but as opposed yeah. to a, a spinning bike or a Schwinn or a like I'm looking at my I have a stages bike over there. Yeah, no, I don't think I have anybody on a a stationary bike. And oh, the sun is coming in here. Oh, it looks good though, but
0: you know, <laughs> unless they had one in their house before.
1: Right. So my audience is going to be a little different. It'll be the opposite. I may have a few cyclists on their bike. I will probably have a, a, a people who use indoor cycling to train for outdoor riding, mm-hmm. um, but uh, probably a slightly different audience than you do. Um, yeah.
0: Well, yeah. So it's, it is, and it's always been cyclists. Like, but, but the thing is that before now, we've always been on like Kaisers or Cyclops or anything that, you know, had power meters on them, which made it what a change that was when they came out. Oh, oh my gosh. Remember Jen? So in the studio, we had spin bikes and uh, then they upgraded. They had this really cool little monitor you could buy that would, that would attach to the flywheel something there's a little thing and it would it would um, measure cadence that was a I big thought, thing oh my oh my gosh life changed right there and then it just went gangbusters after that but when i remember i was
1: started to plummet in price that was the big thing and because it used to cost twenty four hundred dollars right? oh yeah
0: i remember getting one
1: yeah, and so, um, um,
0: I was the only studio who brought those in, and it was a game changer for instruction. Like you didn't have yeah. to count out your cadence one, two, three for like fifteen seconds. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh my
1: gosh, this is so amazing! And you could yeah, you could gauge distance, and that's why ah, I love. I mean, I've been doing this for so long, but I still love doing this. And yeah, so you know, Indoor Cycling Association is my. Action, but I'm gonna recircle back to the whole bike tour thing. Um, I
0: think you should because after, uh, I,
1: even around your in, area, I, 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 know I know that it, Europe but, is. Well, I, I you know I, I'm a snob. <laughs> okay. I okay. No, I don't want to do a bike tour in Colorado. I well, maybe a I, Canadian I like a bike me tour would like Bern. to do a bike tour in Colorado. I want to go back to the Alps. I wanted I I went on a bike tour as a client. Like you know, I could have done this on my own if I wanted to, but I had an opportunity to go on a bicycle tour in 2017. You're gonna die. I don't know if you ever knew this. Do you know no, who Dan what? McDonough is? Dan McDonough? No. He he used to be really big with uh, RPM. I know he still works with them. I think oh. he's actually working with Good Life now. Um
0: oh. yeah. They but he
1: know. also. He worked with TRX for a long time. And as he was a master trainer for uh, TRX, he oh, was okay. the, one of the idea um, trainers of the year. Like, you know, he really, really was uh, well known in the fitness industry. But when he was with TRX, he also had some good connections with um, some of the bike teams. Trek sent him to, I think it was Mallorca or somewhere. One the oh, Trek
0: is huge in Mallorca.
1: Yes, yeah, so they like, uh he went and this was um I think Lance Armstrong was still there. Um, I, I did you hope do it, a do if you no, I did a Dan McDonough tour, but before oh, I oh, okay, Dan trained these guys, all of them, I Jens Voigt, um, uh, Frank Schleck, um, Andy Schleck. I'm trying to remember who else was really? there. Yes, this was like the I think it was the last year of um, dis- maybe it was Discovery. Uh, it was after U.S. Postal's. Um, I remember the Schleck brothers. Um, yes, so racing together. Dan got to be buddies with all these guys, so he was really good buddies with Jens Voigt, and um, he and one of his um, other cycling buddies, and then also he know he knows all the RPM people from all over the world many of whom are like really, really strong cyclists and triathletes down in Australia, New Zealand. So he has been putting on tours uh, with his team. Uh, they're called Rooster Cycling. And they, uh, they raised money for um, really great causes. And so in 2017, he was going to the Italian Alps with Jens Voigt and Frank Schleck.
0: Whoa! Did you have so, to pay extra for that? Did you
1: get on that one? I did. Jeff and I, my husband and I, went to the Italian Alps. <laughs> I was—I will be honest with you. I think I was the least strong sight, not the least, because I wasn't the last, <laughs> but I was towards the end. Like those guys were way up there. Oh yeah. Um, well. You know, and it was—it was it was it was humbling for me. Um, but I, I recognize this is often a lot of my clients when I go on bike tours. <clears throat> who you know who kind of like are bummed out that they're at the back and here I was like bummed out that I was at the back <laughs> but I did it damn it we did yeah. we did the um the paso um gavia we did the mortirola which is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life am I allowed to square here
0: sure
1: um when I got to the top I did a video of me and I looked at I did like a Facebook live I said that was the hardest motherfucking thing I've ever done in my life but I can't believe I did it Frank but Schleck pushed me Frank Schleck oh. was rode behind me for about a half a kilometer and pushed me at the, towards the end I, oh, I, I got like, his oh. handprint on my back I know. and oh, oh my god he's such an amazingly nice guy and Jens Voigt is so funny and um, they, we just had the best time we also did the Stelvio which is famous for its uh, 48 switchback. And um, that was one of my favorite rides, the Stelvio. So um, yes, I did the Italian Alps. Um, and I have a, uh, oh God, if we're going long here. I hope people aren't bored, but I have a, I have a great story about that if I could. All right, let's, the,
0: let's finish it up with this one.
1: Right. On the day of the, the Gavia was the last day. And, um, you know, all of these are, are, are big mountain passes they use in the, the Giro. Right, mm-hmm. like, these are famous Giro climbs and um like i was so fatigued and you know the, the night before we had kind of partied i uh, stayed up and, yeah i mean this was a partying group let me tell you um and i don't know how they did it you know maybe it's my age or something i don't know but um and my husband's a super strong writer so he was usually up with them um so they they assigned one of the the bike tour guides to ride with me because I'm at the back of the Gavia, and I I just remember I had just had a, God the sun is really coming in sorry I had a really bad attitude that morning because I was tired and I was cranky and I like I was like fuck this fuck that oh goddamn and the guide who was so nice I forget his name he had a cute little Stefano or something cute little Italian name. He's like, oh, but oh, but you you all stayed up late last night. And I said, so did they, right? (laughs) They're all way, way ahead of me. And he's like, oh, but this is, you know, your last day, and you've been riding like, so did they, they did too. And like, you know, everything you tried to sell me with. (laughs) And then this this was a lesson I learned about attitude. I looked around and I said, I'm in Italy riding my bike up these beautiful mountains. And I'm complaining. Yeah, really, Jen. <laughs> and so like, I, I, I flipped that switch in my head. Uh-huh. And I decided that, you know what? Who cares if I'm last? Um, you get a guided tour.
0: I mean, I, I, just, be, I stop and take pictures.
1: <laughs> my whole experience changed. You can change your experience. And this is something I teach a lot in my cycling ca- classes. I'm going to move myself out of the sun here. Um, is that you can change ex- your experience by just changing your attitude. And that's what I did on that ride. And it c- taught me so much. And I will tell you, I was not last. There are two other people who came in behind me. So I, you know, I, you know, for all that bitching, I actually, you know, did okay. And what the heck? I climbed up the Gavia. And I did the <laughs> Stelvio the day before. And I did the Mortirolo the day before that. And I did that. We did another climb, huge the longest climb not as steep but that went up and over into switzerland and um who was i to complain and it turned into a wonderful wonderful day yeah <laughs> but it could have so, been so... awful right because mm-hmm. of my attitude so anyway there's a lesson for everyone if you're i if think you're that's whining a great and bitching, lesson um just you know check inside and say look what i'm doing like who cares if i'm going to be slow or who cares if i'm going to yeah, be take a slow? look
0: around Yeah. I'm not at home. I'm on my bike. I've done some pretty epic
1: things. are not in Italy, you can do this at your home rides, right? Oh yeah. Like like, look around and say, what have I not noticed on this climb before? Yeah. Um, I I live in the mountains. I live in the, you know, there's always beautiful and I always something,
0: you know, seasons change. You see something different every time because you're always a different person. It's just like reading books, like the same book. You'll, or listening to something like a podcast or a book and you're like, man, I may remember that paragraph like the first time, like,
1: exactly. So you have a lot more control. Yeah. So because of the pandemic, um, easing up, hopefully and, Mm -hmm. uh, vaccines, I am hoping to do another bike tour this summer. Yes. This is exciting. I, I just in Europe and, I'm I'm a little hesitant because, you know, there's nothing worse than having to cancel.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: um, you know, hopefully by the time this comes out, I will have uh, made a decision, set a date, um, deciding on, you know, I do like to go new places, but I I, I think it'd be best if I just go pl- back to some place I know really well, like Provence and do, and do Mont Ventoux, or go back to Alpe d'Huez and climb up Alpe d'Huez and maybe add some. Um,
0: well, you probably, you'll have a plethora of new cyclists who will be probably very interested in doing stuff, uh, rides like that. Well, and,
1: you can, I uh, will certainly let you know and you can let yes, them know. Yes. So make sure everybody,
0: you get, oh, sorry, I'll just, uh, Yeah. Uh, no, you finish. Well, you I was
1: just, you know, I was hoping when they were first talking about vaccines that I could plan for the Tour de France again, because I've done so oh. many tours to the Tour de France. Mm-hmm. Um and I, you know, know how to, the logistics of dealing with the tour, but I still think that's too early. Um, July is going to be too early. And this year's tour is going to be amazing. I loved the route when they announced it, but um, you know, oh. maybe in two thousand twenty-two, I'll do a, a, a Tour de France tour. But mm-hmm. I think this year is probably going to be more in the fall because, well, more likely to have more people vaccinated. Europe will probably be, you know, more open to have people. You probably, I, I don't know for sure. But I imagine yeah. you're going to have to have proof of vaccine in order to travel to Europe. Um, I, I, that's what I'm thinking. I, Let's
0: not get into that because I'm a an, I am non-believer of that. And well, to be restricted yeah. because you decide you didn't want that might be a yeah. Little but you bit... can't
1: help what another country does. Oh, right? I know. So um, I I have a feeling it's going to go that route. So all that to say is I am just. Hope pushing my hopes for later in the summer, um, to do some beautiful riding up mountains in France and or Italy.
0: And, um, to keep an eye on Jen's website, we, what is your touring website?
1: I, since I stopped doing the organized tours, um, like officially some years ago, I haven't really maintained that website, but, um, People but it's gonna be updated. Uh yeah.
0: And what yeah, is it? There's
1: nothing there now. So
0: <laughs> Okay it's, guys. So when you see something pop up on this, it, what is the
1: website, Jen? It is viva Viva? Viva. Oh, like viva I Las remember viva. that. Yeah. Vivatravels.com. I did self-guided tours for years you know, after the economy crashed in yeah. 2008. It, it was mostly self-guided tours I did. I sent people all over Europe because guided tours were too expensive. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, I actually preferred the self-guided tours for a while. But I love the kind of like being in the spinning class. I love the camaraderie
0: the group. I the group. I know I um, need to get on one of those tours. A lot of people, a lot of my friends go to Mallorca and do the track tour because they're just really well done and yeah, and and very popular. But so everybody make sure Jen, um, I'll have her website on the descriptions and as well, check out her indoor cycling association website for the subscription to learn Um, go there and learn. If you're a a coach, a cycling instructor, uh, maybe you're doing your own online classes and you need ideas I'm assuming that's a place that they can get very oh, specific absolutely. cycling specific things which is cycling
1: specific which is hands down what music. you want
0: yes um because how about to be a
1: boring coach <laughs> a boring instructor
0: <laughs> this is not for the wheelhouses uh you know those kind of but you know there's a place for them too they anyways I'm I'm not <laughs> I'm not one of those big supporters but because I am all about cycling and when I went into the one just as a lesson when I went to one I was like I can't believe I've got to be biking at 300 watts like as the moment I sat down on my bikes like up and down up and down
1: I'm like I haven't even warmed up yet <laughs> you know? yeah, or pedaling at at um, I went to a, a, soul a cycle ridiculous class.
0: rate and doing push-ups and I'm like and I didn't none. do any of that
1: stuff but I just remember this instructor who said she was a a racer. She raced criterions, which blew me out, blew me really? away. But she stood at the class and said, "Turn your resistance all the way to the left and pedal it." She had people like pushing two hundred RPM with zero resistance. She told them, "Turn it all the way to the left," and like I, everyone around is bouncing so much, I could just see their joints. Like, eh. that's it, scary stuff. It was so scary. But. Well, thank you so much. We're coming to the top of the hour
0: and it's been an extreme pleasure to have you as our guest, I thought you froze there for a second, as our guest, Jen. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you to our listeners for jumping in for another episode of Secrets from the Saddle, all things cycling. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast as well as the YouTube channel, because this goes up live there at the same time as the episode does on the podcast. So you want to have all your notifications on. And um, please, if you are, you know, if you feel so kind, leave us a five star review or rating and a quick review, because we're looking to push this podcast straight to the top of the leaderboard. Well, I will tell everyone out there. Thank you. You better. And we'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for spending this time with me on the secrets from the saddle podcast, learning more about sighting people, places, and things that make cycling such an exciting sport. I am so glad you stopped by today please leave me a review if you feel so moved to do so. I would love to hear your feedback. And if you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it, I would be forever grateful. Also, if you could please leave me a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving me an honest thought and an honest comment, telling me what you think, and most importantly, tell me what you'd like to hear more of. It would really help me to bring more great, inspiring cycling stories to you. Until then, have an amazing day. Make sure you ride your bike. And don't forget to visit my YouTube channel if you'd like to see the full version of this podcast live.